This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Sunday, May 9th. The Cubs wrapping up a weekend series with the Pirates. They do drop the finale on Sunday, but they take two out of three on the weekend. So good for a 5-1 and one brief little six-game homestand there at Wrigley Field. So all in all, a very nice week. We will talk about everything that we saw in this Pirate series. Unfortunately, we have some more injuries and, and roster stuff to catch up on. A lot kind of going on there with the shuffling of the Cubs roster, and they might have to do some more. So we will talk about all of that, and we will get you ready for this upcoming week as you guys are listening to this on Sunday. Wishing a very happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers listening to the Cubs-related podcast. Hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. And Brendan, I, I wanted to ask you as I as I look at the schedule, I know where I'm getting ahead of myself. Normally we talk about the, the coming schedule toward the end of the episode, but I, I can't help but notice that the Cubs uh, have an off day on Monday and then they are headed to mm-hmm. Cleveland to play the okay. Indians on a Tuesday yeah. and a Wednesday. And I'm like looking mm. at this, and I figured I would just ask you on air because I'm like kind of blanking on it, but it, it feels like there's something significant about the Cubs playing in Cleveland on a Tuesday and a Wednesday. Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I tried to look it up, and there were, there were a few games in 2016, like late in the year, actually, Corey, like in November, November. that they played in Cleveland. Oh. November, yeah. And they actually they, they won those games, Corey. Do, do you remember oh, that? B- Brendan, I'm I'm so silly. You you you, you jog yeah. my memory. The the Cubs actually okay. won the World Series on That's a, right, Corey. Uh, the World Series. That's yeah. what it is. Oh my goodness, yeah. I can't believe it. Oh, thank you guys for indulging that bit for uh, going on five years now. We're never going to stop, so uh, just ever, a heads up ever, on that. Ever. But yes, the Cubs are headed to Cleveland on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and they did win the World Series in Cleveland uh, on Wednesday, November 2nd. So that is pretty cool, and we will be insufferable about that Um all week, basically. So, Brendan, this was another one of those series where two really solid wins, uh, another couple of one-run wins for the Cubs, winning both games uh, Friday and Saturday by a score of 3-2, to two, and then losing a one-run game on Sunday. So, all in all, uh, a nice series. You pick up the series W. You have a very, very solid week uh, for a homestand at Wrigley Field. An unfortunate one on Sunday, so, you know, kind of leaves that that sour taste in your mouth, especially you kind of have to, like, think about that in particular on the off day, but on the whole, this was a, a really nice week for the Cubs, and one of the things we talked about in the last episode was, you know, you sweep a team like the Dodgers, you have a, a really exciting series there with the doubleheader, and then the walk-off to complete the sweep, and we, we just wanted them to sort of keep that energy going, keep the keep the winning ways going, and have a good weekend here, and the Cubs delivered on that. And within the last about week and a half, you may have noticed, but the Cubs are making more contact, Corey, so just in the last... 10 games, their team contact rate is almost 78%. Whereas last year and in previous years, it always hovered between 70 to 73%. It's, it's a noticeable difference. They had 16 straight base hits that were singles, and it might be a team-wide plate approach change they're trying to implement. But that, that's encouraging to see 
more contact. You saw even Javi in that last game in the ninth inning, even though he grounded out, made contact on a high fastball, grounded at the second base, had a decent at-bat. So things are going in the right direction. I feel better about the offense. I feel better about most of the team, just given what we've seen the past week and a half. Yeah, the, the offense has, has certainly uh, done, obviously, a much better job since those first few weeks. And they've actually been near the top of the league in a lot of categories uh, for a solid bit of time here. So it's, it's you know, sort of what we talked about all season. It's it's about getting it all to come together, right? You know, we've, we've been dealing with more, I think, issues on the, on the pitching side. It was generally uh, pretty good this weekend, um, you know, save for a pretty unlucky first inning there for Kyle Hendricks on Sunday. Uh, but need it all to kind of gel together, right? The, the offense going like this, the starting pitching giving us more length, the bullpen locking things down. But we've seen glimpses of all of that happening. So it, it can come together. Um, and it has, you know, I think for the most part, or especially over this last week here. But let me run through these games real quick. Um, you know, not a lot to break down. A bunch of one-run games this weekend here with the Pirates. But just to get the table set here on Friday, like I said, it was a 3-2 to two win for the Cubs over the Pirates. A really, really nice start from Zach Davies, which we've been waiting for and was very nice to see. I'm sure felt very good for him as well. He goes seven innings. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're getting more guys here in the starting rotation into that seventh inning, which we had mentioned before had taken a while for the Cubs starters to get an out in the seventh inning. Uh, but Zach does go seven here, five hits, no runs, one walk and one strikeout, his second win of the year. The Cubs getting their runs on Friday via and Anthony Rizzo, uh, he reached on an error. Jock Peterson scored in the second. Jock Peterson with an RBI single to score David Bodie. And in the third, it was a Matt Duffy sack fly to bring in Javi Baez that made it three to nothing. The Pirates would get two in the top of the ninth with Craig Kimbrell down for the day, just uh, a day off for Craig. David Ross did not elaborate on that, uh, but the door was eventually shut by Rex Brothers, who picks up the save, 3-2 to two, the final. On Saturday, same score, and some similarities here. Uh, this was a shorter start from Trevor Williams. He did get a, a solid number of whiffs. He ends up with six strikeouts in those four innings, uh, five hits, two earned, two walks. He only throws 83 pitches in this game, so maybe could have gone a little longer, but as we talked about, you know, these, these four three, four, five inning starts. Not great, uh, but Trevor wasn't bad in this one. So all things considered, uh, not the worst outing for Trevor there. Craig Kimbrell picking up his sixth save of the year. So I know there was some, you know, speculation on Friday as to why Kimbrell was down and if he was okay and all that. And he, uh, calmed those worries on Saturday because he looked great, locked down the save. The Cubs got their runs in this one. Wilson Contreras was hit by a pitch with the bases loaded in the first. The Pirates would take a 2-1 to one lead on a two-run homer in the fourth inning. And then, of course, the Cubs coming back with two unanswered runs in the bottom of the fourth. It was an Eric Sogard sack fly. And then in the bottom of the seventh, it was Matt Duffy, the hero with a base hit to score Jason Hayward. Uh, Jason with a really nice slide to avoid the tag on that play. That made it 3-2, to two. and as I said, Kimbrell would lock it down. That was the story on Saturday, another 3-2 to two win. Keegan Thompson picks up the W in this one. He goes three innings after Trevor Williams, allowing just two hits. He walks one, no strikeouts, no runs. So another solid uh, set of work for Keegan Thompson, who's getting some opportunities here. 
And we, we talked about that, Brendan. Like, we knew that, you know, they were going to need ways to cover these innings, especially, you know, you have Arietta out. You've had a lot of these guys uh, struggle with length and stuff. So Keegan Thompson, uh, like Justin Steele and some of the other names we've seen, getting these opportunities and so far stepping up and, and making the most of them. So congrats to him on picking up that W. On Sunday, uh, a weird one. Uh, it, it, it started quite weird. The Pirates get four in the first off of Kyle Hendricks, but Kyle wasn't really bad in this one. Um, a lot of weak contact that fell in, and, you know, sometimes that's just the way it goes, right? Uh, I know Rizzo and Contreras, I think, both had exit velocities in the bottom half of the first inning that were 100 miles or higher, and those were the two hardest hit balls of the inning for either team, those both found gloves and several, you know, 79 to 85 mile an hour hits from the Pirates found holes, found the outfield, and they end up with four runs in that inning. Hendricks settles down for the most part. He goes five innings, nine hits, six run, only four of them earned one walk and three strikeouts. So I think the line looks worse than he was. We'll talk about his his start in a little bit. Uh, do want to note Justin Steele, as I just mentioned, two innings of work, no hits, no runs, one walk, two strikeouts. So like Thompson, Steele's getting those opportunities. He is making the most of them and really showing the Cubs something. So that is is good. A good day for the bullpen all around. Dylan Maples, a clean inning of work with two strikeouts. And Jason Adam back with an inning of work. He allows two hits, but he strikes out three batters. So he was getting whiffs on his stuff. That is good to see. The runs in this game... As I mentioned, the Pirates getting uh, four in the first. I don't think you guys care how that happened. Jock Peterson with a nice day uh, on Sunday. He gets an RBI single in the second. That made it four to one. Pirates would extend their lead in the third. They add two there to make it six to one in the fourth. Jason Hayward gets the Cubs closer with an RBI ground out. And in the bottom of the ninth, the Cubs make a lot of noise. It was an exciting little rally there, but it does fall short. Peterson with another RBI single that made it six to three, and then Ildemaro Vargas with a two RBI double that made it six to five. It did bring Javi as the winning run to the plate, as Brendan mentioned. A really good at bat from Javi. He laid off some tough pitches, uh, you know, worked the count and tried to go the other way, uh, but it did find a glove. But a really nice, patient, slowed down, as we've talked about. Uh, at bat for him, especially in that spot. I was expecting him to be swinging so hard that his shoes were going to come off, but that was a, a composed, really solid at bat. It just didn't work out. Good effort from the Cubs, though, on Sunday to make that game close and, you know, keep it close throughout the game and then fight toward the end there. So that's the story, Brendan. Uh, a tough one on Sunday, obviously, uh, you know, I think uh, especially on Mother's Day, it would have been very exciting for them to stage a, a comeback in that one and, you know, score four or more in the ninth to win that game. But it falls short. All things told, the Cubs five and one on the week, back to five hundred with a day off on Monday. So things could certainly be worse. Brendan, a nice week here. Well, the pitching rebounded, and as you, as you said, even though Kyle didn't get the numbers that he typically expects from himself, he he looked good. And there is a few hit charts and some zone profiles of his outing, and all but two of the Pirates' base hits were uh, thrown on on the black. And so really, Pittsburgh was just making weak contact on borderline pitches. Kyle was hitting his spot. His velo was good. The location was good. The stuff was good. He was throwing his curveball and changeup around 20% of the time. Everything looked normal. And then 
previously on that Friday outing. Davies looked good. The command was sharp. The one thing I want to see Davies continue to just improve upon is getting more whiffs. He's still not getting whiffs. In 81 pitches on Friday, he only got one whiff, but he got a ton of ground balls. His command was good, and I think that was a step in the right direction. Uh, And then sandwiched in between Hendricks and Davies, you have Williams, you know, he needs to go deeper into games. It's still a work in progress, but still have to be patient with his development. He threw more curveballs and sliders again, and this is a pitch he's been continuing to work on with Tommy Hadovy, and I'm sure with the pitching development side of things. So the curveball looks good, slider looks good, fastball looks good, just needs to go deeper, uh, own in on that command a little bit tighter. But even with the starters, the bullpen looked good. Justin Steele looked great. You have Keegan Thompson, who's quickly becoming one of my favorite pitchers to watch on this team. He looked good. He was pumping in uh, mid-90s heat. Great curveball. Really fast curveball. Cutter looked really good. Still has that sharp horizontal breaking movement. You had Schaffin come in, look good. Tapera looked decent. Uh, Jason Adam came back, had a good outing on Sunday. So a step in the right direction for this pitching staff. And when you combine that with what we've seen with the offense and the greater ability to make contact, this is probably the most encouraging point of the season we've had so far. We're finally having, you know, the offense click a little bit, the pitching click a little bit. <laughs> Unfortunately, we can't catch a break and you have all these injuries now. Right. But separate from that, you do have players making tangible improvements at the pitching and uh, hitting side for the first time, which is making me feel uh, very confident. Well, and so while we're talking about the pitching in particular, any anything from you on Kyle Hendricks? I, I noted it, you know, it. it I, I don't think he was as bad as the line would indicate. It was just kind of one of those first innings that, you know, you just can't really catch a break. And I I was looking at the pitch graphic of, you know, where the Pirates made contact that Jordan Bastian from MLB.com had shared. And, you know, he had a, a couple of fastballs that leaked over the middle and, and stayed over that upper middle portion of the zone. But otherwise, the the balls that the Pirates are making contact, most of them were on the black. A couple of them were out of the zone. It was really a couple bad pitches. But uh, anything from you on, on Hendricks on Sunday? He threw more four seams. I think that was kind of interesting. He threw 27 four seams and 88 pitches, and typically he hovers around 20%. So I don't know what the intent was there with him throwing more four seams, but I thought he looked good. I mean, his four seam average, 87 miles per hour, uh, basically within his range in the past few years. And I think he continues to throw more curveballs, which is something that's interesting. You know, he spiked his curveball usage threefold last year and that trend is still continuing so again in that start his curveball and changeup were thrown uh, around 20 percent of the time but in in almost 90 pitches that's quite a few curveballs and he got 10 whiffs in 88 pitches which is really good and he got six whiffs on that four seam so clearly whatever was in the scouting report it worked so they identified something in that pirates lineup that allowed Kyle to get six whiffs on uh, 27 fastballs, four seams. That's that's pretty pretty remarkable when you consider he's throwing 86, 87 with that four seam. I thought he was fine, man. I think it was a good, uh, I think it was a good second start from his last outing in which he looked good. So it's it's trending up. I'm I'm fine with Kyle. I'm not worried whatsoever with all that BS contact that he got slapped around. It was a fluky thing. I think Corey that first inning. Maybe it's just recency bias. I cannot remember a more fluky inning I've ever watched in my entire life in the first inning for a Cubs game. That was bizarre. 
Yeah, it was just one of those days, you know, and then of course it was quite typical that Wilson and Anthony hit the ball pretty hard in that following uh, half baseball, of the man. inning, right in gloves. You, you just sort of knew it was it was one of those days, even though the Cubs did charge back and, and make it close. So it is what it is. But yeah, I, I think Kyle's, you know, generally getting close to where he wants to be. And yeah, uh, I've been, you know, you guys know this, like there's no worry about Kyle Hendricks on this podcast. Never, so no. that's just the way that is. But let's check in on uh, some of the roster stuff, as I mentioned. So Jock Peterson ends up in the lineup on um, Sunday, and he goes three for four in this game with two RBIs. But the reason that he was in this game is because Jake Marisnik leaves early in the game trying to make a, a catch uh, on one of these uh, aforementioned, you know, not super well hit balls, and he leaves. So it is being reported now. Uh, as usual, we were recording this on Sunday. It is about 5.20 Central Time in Chicago. Uh, so, you know, that is uh, the update I have as of now is that it is a hamstring injury. He's going to get some more tests on Monday. Uh, initially, Brendan, I mean, just glad it's not his knee, right? Anytime you see something like that, um, you know, you worry about kind of a non-contact knee injury because those are, you know, usually a, a lot worse than anything else. Uh, but a hamstring isn't great, and Mariznick has dealt with some hamstring stuff in the past, so not great. A- as I said, it's it's five thirty ish on on Sunday, so check in on that once the Cubs offer up any more info after they evaluate him on Monday. Um, but Jason Hayward also leaves this game uh, with a right hand issue uh, that that flared up. So as you alluded to, Brennan, can't really catch a break here with, with some of this stuff. And, you know, Hayward has not been performing well at the plate. Uh, I know, you know, you have, uh, we're looking at some data that he's pulling the ball a lot, which in, in years past, if you guys remember, when he sort of really gets going, he's able to go the other way a lot with those line drives over the shortstop into that left center gap. And he's been pulling the ball a ton. So that's been kind of weird. And his, his, you know, numbers are down. He leaves Sunday's game hitting 173 with a 556 OPS. Don't know how long this hand thing has been bothering him, if that's contributing to that. But it's kind of one of those like, oh, you know, that wouldn't be surprising if there's been some sort of like lingering thing. Uh, but a, a, a obviously a real shame. We've talked a lot about how much we like Marisnik and wanted to see him get more time. And as that has happened, he's continued to perform, was hitting 264 with a 973 OPS in the, in the time that he's gotten out in center field. Um, and he's probably going to miss some time. I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to speculate on how long, but hamstring guys had hamstring stuff either way. You know, he's, he's probably going to hit at least the 10 day IL just to, um, rest that up and, and make sure it's fully healed. But, uh, you know, the the Cubs are in a tough spot here, right? You've already got Chris Bryant roaming around in the outfield half the games, uh, even though, you know, obviously he's naturally a third baseman. Ian Happ is still out. Uh, him and Nico Horner should be able to come back soon. You know, all reports are that those are progressing well and, you know, that they'll begin to, to work their way back. But, you know, we, we still have to see that, of course. Uh, and now you've got Hayward leaving the game today. Don't know if he'll miss any time. You've got Marisnik likely to miss at least a little time. So, 
yeah, uh, David Ross is is probably going to have to get creative here. Nick Martini is up with the team. We saw him uh, over the weekend, so he is certainly an option to play in the outfield. Jock Peterson, of course, is back and can play in the, the outfield. I mentioned Ildemaro Vargas is back, so he can work in on the infield if you need to move some guys around. But a lot of moving pieces here. And, you know, Javi is still not, uh, I, I don't think, at 100%. Um, so yeah, uh, uh, a rough, a rough time just in terms of keeping guys on the field, Brendan. It's unfortunate. I wanted to see more of Marisnik, man. He was just slamming the ball the last two weeks and having that defense, the speed. Ross always raves about his attitude and his affinity for the other guys in the clubhouse. It's, it sucks. That, that was, that was a bad injury. And we're lucky that there's only two games before Friday because uh, you have Nico and Ian Happ will be ready for the weekend series here. So they kind of caught a break there, but I'm trying to figure out in my mind, like how how is this going to work with this outfield? Because you do have Ian coming back from an injury. You have Nico coming back from an injury. Hayward's gone. Marisnik is gone. You don't know if like, you know, Nico and Hap are going to be fully 100% in 10 days. You, you, you don't know, right? So I'm trying to think, what can we do with the current roster to make it work? And one kind of surprising move Ross made was keeping Chris Bryant in center field and keeping Jock in left field. And Jock's been a center fielder for, you know, a lot of his career coming up with LA. So that suggests that when we are saying that, you know, Jock's not looking that great defensively, it's not just the fans' perception. You can you can clearly tell that David Ross and the rest of the Cubs coaches, they they may not want Jock in center because maybe some of his defensive skills have kind of deteriorated over his his aging over the past five plus years now. So I, I I don't know. Maybe you have KB in center field. Maybe you have Nick Martini getting some opportunities here in center. If Nico does come back and he's healthy, maybe Nico gets chances in center and you put Chris Bryant in right field and in absence of Jason Hayward. We don't know how bad his injury is, but this is kind of a weird reshuffling. And then, of course, you have Ildemaro Vargas up. He can play shortstop. He, you know, a ton of whiffing problems, but he has massive power potential. It's kind of like you know, a poor man's hobby bias in that regard. And Duffy continues to look good. So he'll, he'll get undoubtedly consistent playing time here in the next, at minimum, a week, which which I'm fine with. So it's a lot of reshuffling and it's a lot of moves for David Ross to be making in his first full regular season as as manager. And so far, he's done he's done a great job. It seems as if he's putting guys in good positions. It seems as if he's really working that bullpen well. You know, he gave Jason Adam an opportunity on Sunday right out of the gate. So I I give credit to Ross. I feel comfortable that he's going to make the right decisions here, give guys the right matchups, give guys the right playing time, consistent playing time. And the the hope is, is that once Nico and Ian Happ come back, that Ian can continue some of that recent success he was having before their collision. I, I mean, there's there's not much else to say. I mean, you, you're going to have to get by with what you have. Obviously, you know, I think Matt Duffy has done a lot to earn as, as much playing time as, as they can give him, you know, uh, and, and, you know, finding those right spots. And yeah, I mean, you're going to have to probably get a little creative. You you might see uh, at some point, you know, Nico and KB in the outfield at the same time. Maybe some some weird stuff here from the Cubs. But 
you're you're going to have to try to get by with the guys you have. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think on Hap, uh, especially like they're 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 going to need him to come back and and hop back into that lineup and and like you said, continue that recent success and and uh, get back to some of those normal numbers that we've seen from him. So hopefully, him and Nico are, are able to get right back in there uh, because the Cubs the Cubs need him. Uh, it's it's not as easy to kind of ease guys back when you're shuffling more guys potentially yeah. to the IL and trying to keep guys like Javi and and Wilson fresh and stuff with some of the stuff that they battled through. So tough from an injury perspective but these things happen and you know the Cubs uh, like a lot of other teams will have to figure out how to get by with these uh, particular things so on the offense and of course as we just mentioned it's it's changing uh, but I I did want to note Sadev Sharma of The Athletic wrote a good piece about sort of the the different look that the Cubs offense has this year and, and especially lately. And we've talked a lot about uh, having more contact-heavy guys on the team. You know, we know that they've had Eric Sogard this whole time for that exact purpose. And, you know, he, he didn't hit the ball far enough on this particular sack fly, but it worked anyway. Um, so, you know, I, I guess we give him credit for that. But you know, he does make contact in those spots, right? Situationally, when he's called upon, he is a guy you can rely on. Hey, we need a fly ball to the outfield. Okay, right? We need a ground ball to the right side. Okay, you know, you got it, right? And we've seen certainly the effect that Matt Duffy has had in giving this lineup a little bit uh, more of a different feel. And, you know, he has the game-winning hit the other night and just, you know, seems to be providing that kind of different look uh, than, than we have seen from a good portion of this offensive makeup over the last few years. Uh, but something else that the Cubs are doing, and this is what uh, Sahadev was talking about over at The Athletic, and the, the Cubs entering this weekend were the best team in baseball at extra base taken percentage, uh, and that is defined as the percentage of times a runner advances more than one base on a single and more than two on a double. Now, we've seen the Cubs excel at this at times over the last several years, right? Someone like Chris Bryant is one of the best in the league at this particular thing. You know, you'll see him all the time uh, running like a gazelle from first base to third base, uh, often on an Anthony Rizzo single and stuff like that. So we've seen it from these guys, but you know, they're, they're at the top of the league in that regard. Um, and they are also, uh, near the top of the league in steals, which is, uh, an interesting thing from, from this team. And it's, it's a a little bit of a, a, you know, I think like selective aggressiveness, Brendan, and it's, it's something that this offense has been doing. You know, certainly we've talked about the holes that this offense has at times and, you know, they go through periods where the strikeouts are very heavy and it's very boomer bust, you know, three true outcomes kind of games. They walk a lot, they strike out a lot, they hit some home runs. Um, You know, and especially on, on this weekend, I, I feel like we saw all of those things, the contact stuff and some of this base running aggressiveness kind of come into play, especially in those first two wins. Cubs don't have an extra base hit on Friday or Saturday. They win both those games by a run. And that's not really a style of baseball that we're super familiar with, um, with this particular group. So it's been interesting to see. And I, I like that base running stuff, Brendan, because to, you know, to me that shows this coaching staff, David Ross, Mike Barzello, I'm sure is, is heavily involved in a lot of this stuff. 
is, you know, taking the group that they have and, and kind of understanding their strengths and weaknesses and, and picking spots to say, we need to be more aggressive in these spots to, you know, maximize this group on the margins, right? And it's it's just an interesting, uh, so I, you know, I don't want to call it a new brand of Cubs baseball because they kind of fluctuate between a few different kinds of baseball uh, as, as the season has gone on. But it's, it's, interesting and I think refreshing to see them sort of putting a different look out there, especially, you know, in this weekend series with the Pirates. Now that you said that they were among the top teams in stolen bases, I'm surprised. I mean, I've I've noticed they're stealing more bases. Well, part of that is that Anthony Rizzo has developed himself into (laughs) just an absolute speed demon. So that helps. Yeah, he's fast. But I mean, even with Rizzo, you can tell, and this is back to your point about selective aggression, a lot of those steals appear to be like no attempts from the opposing team. It's almost as if they're picking up on cues from the other pitcher right. and they're stealing based on those cues. And that could be a scouting thing, which you never saw with Joe Madden's uh, coaching staff in years past. So that that is interesting. I, I never really thought about it in that context and how successful they've been with that, but it, it does make sense. I mean, just recently I'm thinking out loud now, we saw... Rizzo do that with no attempt. We saw Jay Hay steal some bases with no attempts. And you have, you know, Maristic on the base pass and Nico on the base pass. They're fast. They may not need those selective cues, but it's that, that is a trend to keep monitoring. And when you have guys who are capable of putting balls into play, that's where you get some of the action and some of the, the luck fall your direction. And that's why I've, I've liked Matt Duffy. Again, we have to set or I have to set a good reference of what to expect with Duffy. He's not going to be your well above league average offensive player. You know, he's going to peak around league average, and he's done that twice in his career with weighted on base averages around 320 to 330. That is completely fine, man. When you put him in positions that are conducive to like sequencing, like when you need him to make contact, whether it's off the bench or sandwich in between certain players in the lineup, you can maybe have some of the luck fall your way intentionally, if that makes sense, kind of like an oxymoron there. But we saw it happen in his game-winning base hit when they won 3-2, to two, and it was just a little dinker just right out into right field, a little tiny like pitch shot, essentially. And that's what we were missing in, in years past, just people making contact. And it's not just Matt Duffy recently. You have Chris Bryant, who's making 70, almost 77% contact, Corey. That is his career high. He hasn't had that high of a contact rate since 2017, almost four or five seasons now. And that's above league average, dude. The league average contact rate is 75%. He's above league average. And then you have Matt Duffy, who's making 92% contact. And Rizzo has always been a contact machine around uh, over 80%. And when you have those guys atop the lineup, you are going to get some weird sequencing at times. And I, I like that. And even going down the lineup when healthy, assuming that that hand injury won't be debilitating, Jason Hayward always consistently makes above league average contact. And the hope there is that his hand injury just won't be serious. It can heal up. And it partially explains some of the weird trends we've seen with, with Hayward, like only pulling the ball for base hits. We never saw that in the past two seasons. But all, all of this is to say is that it is a it is a noticeable difference even within the last two weeks from a plate approach point of view. And now you have different complementary personnel with Matt Duffy. And I know the intent there is with Eric Stogart to make more contact. I get it. But it is a refreshing style of play that we haven't been used to. I think 
I mean, what, maybe like the 2000s, Corey? Like this team has always been hit or miss. It's definitely a, a changeup that I, I find myself enjoying. The two straight games on Friday and Saturday that they win with no extra base hits is the first time they've done that since 1944. Hmm. That stat coming from Christopher Kamka on Twitter. That's a long time, Brendan. And it's, you know, we saw it on Sunday, right, from the Pirates. Like, you you don't want a lineup of people making contact for the sake of making contact, right? Like, you don't want people making weak contact all the time and hoping that bloops fall in. That's not how you want to build an offense. But it does, you know, we saw it on Sunday from the Pirates in that first inning. And, you know, we've certainly seen it from from guys like Sogard and Matt Duffy at times. Sometimes it, it, it just helps to put the ball in play, right? It gives a chance for something to happen, for the ball to find a hole, for the other team's defense to screw around and, you know, give you some extra bases or things like that. And it just diversifies things a little bit. Um, so, you know, you don't want to sell out for contact totally. Um, you know, hitting dingers is still the best strategy generally in the game of baseball, slugging. Um, but you have that uh, in this Cubs lineup. We know that. There, there, There's no worry about this team slugging um, throughout the year, right? You have plenty of players who you can count on by the end of 162 games. They're going to get their slugging in, right? But it's just nice to have a little bit of a different makeup in some spots in this lineup. And, you know, especially on particular days, depending on the pitcher that you have, you know, you can, David Ross has the ability to build a more contact oriented lineup, a more, you know, OBP oriented lineup, or, you know, just sell out for trying to hit home runs kind of lineup, right? And he's able to mix and match that. And I think it's nice to have those options. And we've certainly, especially from Matt Duffy, we've seen it pay off a lot in in these series uh, where it's just a, a simple, you know, line drive that gets to the outfield. It's it's nothing special. It's nothing crazy, but it gets the job done like the other day. It brought home the winning run in the form of Jason Hayward, and that's what you need sometimes. So it's been interesting, but I'm, I'm you know, really into that, that base running stuff. I mean, you know, I know in particular in 2019, right, like, and, and with Joe Madden's exit and all of that, like a, a lot of that um, one of the key issues that we focused on with that team was that they had been really sloppy at times. They they were not as good on the base paths. I think at certain points during that season, they led the league in outs on the bases. Um, you know, and now we're talking about them leading the league and taking extra bases at, at a rate higher than other teams in the league. So, you know, obviously that is what you want to see. You want the Cubs to be leading the league in categories like that. But it's just nice to see a kind of shift in that regard. And then they were better about some of this stuff in 2020 as well. But, you know, especially when you are not built, you know, perhaps as, as strongly overall as, as you have been in past years and you uh, are, are trying to find ways to win on those margins, this is one of the ways that you do it. And it, it's no surprise that the Cubs are able to win a couple of one-run games. And we've talked about that throughout the year, that this was kind of going to be how the season goes. There's going to be a lot of close games, and the success or failure of this team might come down to how they perform in one-run games, how they perform in close games. Do they get that extra hit? Does their, you know, bloop fall in and get them a W? Because that's just kind of how it is with a team that is, uh, you know, potentially going to fluctuate on that on that win-loss margin in, in a very kind of tight way. And that excelling on the bases, taking extra bases, 
taking those extra things that you can, that is how a team like this is going to succeed. Being really good on the bases and being really good on defense. And the offense may come and go at times. The starting pitching may come and go at times. But these are the types of things that can take a team that is maybe not you know, the best roster in the league and, you know, just a juggernaut at every position. And that's how you can kind of push yourself to those higher win totals is by being really good at these things on the margins. And the Cubs are doing that in spades to start this season. Earlier on, I know, you know, you've given me some heat for this, but that was one reason why I kind of suggested to to move down Ian Happ in the order from that leadoff spot and put a more contact-oriented hitter up there with similar plate discipline such as someone like a Jason Hayward. But I'm also thinking once Nico and Hap do come back, assuming they do come back on Friday when their 10 games are up, or 10 days are up rather, I'm still trying to figure out who makes sense to, to bat leadoff. Do you give Hap the leadoff spot right away? I know David Ross went to Jock Peterson in the leadoff spot this weekend in the Pirates series. Do you give Nico the shots? Do you give Hap the shots? Uh, do you want to have a more contact-oriented guy atop the lineup? M- maybe that's not a priority for David Ross, given we've seen Ian there so many times. Uh, Jock Peterson has his own specific whiff issues. So I'm still wondering what's going to happen there. Yeah. And if it is my preference, I I just, by, by default, if I have a similar run value hitter, I, I want to give the guy, and this is just like a preference. I don't even know if it makes sense from like a statistical perspective, but it's my preference just to have someone with more contact lead off the game and give at least the opportunity for some like nonsense to happen, for some like lucky, fluky base hits that you saw in, in Sunday's game from, from Pittsburgh. And I do think, given what we've seen with Nico, not just in 2021 this year in his few games, but even dating back to last year in 2020 during the COVID season, Nico has made noticeable changes in his plate discipline. I mean, even in his just a brief stint before the IL here, he was swinging at fewer pitches outside the strike zone than an average hitter. And throughout his career, he's been well above league average in contact. Right now, he's at 81% last year in 2020, 83%. And even given some of those dry spells in 2019, he was at 82%. So he's going to have potentially, like, and it's within the projections, he's going to have similar value, I, I guess, from like a WRC plus point of view, maybe, maybe as Ian Happ. And if that's the case... Give me Ian Happ's power potential in the middle of the order in that five or six spot, maybe six spot, with those home runs, and give give Nico some chances up top of the order. And I, you know, we did see that once, and I liked it. And I'm just wondering if Ross will go back there right away. And honestly, I kind of hope he does. Yeah, we saw Matt Duffy in the leadoff spot on Sunday. I think part of it. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly where Hap feels the most comfortable at this point. I, perhaps he doesn't have a spot that he feels the most comfortable. But yeah. for me, especially with him coming back and having struggled uh, prior to his injury, you know, for for the majority of this season so far. I would probably prefer not to throw him back into that leadoff spot. I think that just kind of immediately puts that pressure on him to get going, and I, I just would probably prefer to ease him back into things and 
prioritize him getting right at the plate and, you know, cutting down those issues, um, you know, with the whiffs on pitches in the zone and, and, and just get him right at the plate because he's a very important player. Um, and I don't think is, uh, you know, certainly not as bad as the numbers have been to start this season. So I I would rather like, as you said, I, I think he might be more valuable in the middle of the lineup as his slugging starts to come. And I, I just don't know if I love the idea of of bringing him back off of an there's, injury like there's that. There's no and, right answer, though. That's the thing, right? It's like when we talk when we talk about this or think about it, there there probably is no logical right answer. I think sure. there can there can be an argument for both, right? Like I mean, with Ian, the the counter to what I'm saying is, well, he's one of when healthy the best plate discipline guys on the right. team where you're going to work the at-bats and work that starter right out of the gate in the first inning. And I can get behind that too. I sure. just think if Nico continues to develop at this pace, I think he can actually provide similar at-bats, maybe not as long as Ian, but similar in length and working pitches. So I, there is no right way to go about this, but I think there is multiple potential ways that it does make sense for this leadoff guy. Yeah, and I and I think with Nico too, kind of to that same point that I'm making about Hap, you know, Nico was just going so well. He he was so hot mm-hmm. at the plate um before this injury that I, I think I'm more comfortable throwing him in the leadoff spot and just hoping he stays hot. I, I think just with Hap, you just want to make sure that he's getting himself right. And I just don't know if I, I love kind of the immediate pressure of being in that leadoff spot and, you know, kind of having to pace the offense like that, though, obviously, especially in, in 2020, we saw Ian excel in that spot. So yeah, you're right. It, there, There's not necessarily a clear answer. I, I think, you know, most of my thoughts uh, around Hap surround the fact that he is, you know, 26 years old or, or you know, uh, around that age, and he's got several years of team control. He's very young, and I just want him to get right right? It's it's obviously been a struggle of a, the beginning of the 2021 season, but he's been so much better than what we've seen in this one month for the time that he's been up at the major league level. He's shown the ability to make those adjustments, and he's just a very important player for, for the future of, of this team. So whatever they want to do, I'm, I'm more concerned about him as an individual player than necessarily right away, uh, you know, how he's like put in the lineup and, and exactly what it's doing for this team right now. I just want to make sure that he is, uh, you know, healthy and, and getting back to where he wants to be at the plate because he should be. And I, and I believe that he'll get there, but that's my, my main priority there, not necessarily um, where he is in the lineup. I, I think one thing that is interesting to keep an eye on and, and, you know, he's, he's moved around a bit. Um, but we, we've expressed concern in the past about, you know, how often Wilson plays, um, and, and just whether they're able to get him time off and, and stuff like that. And I know they've had injuries, um, to Austin Romine and, you know, the, the, the backup catcher situation. Um, but for, a you know, a little while here, the last few weeks, Wilson has not been good at the plate. Um, and so I don't mean to suggest that that is due to his playing time. You know, obviously he dealt with a little bit of an injury there. Um, but, you know, he hit second on Sunday and it just has not been a good couple weeks for him. The last 15 games, 45 at bats, he has a slash line of a 133 batting average, a 231 on base percentage and a 289 slugging percentage. So those are, uh, quite not good numbers, Brendan. So, um, 
I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not like concerned about him, but I, you know, again, like it's just one of those things where we've seen his performance get dinged um, by injuries in the past. Um, you know, you and I were just talking about, you know, kind of that hamstring injury that he had in 2018 that uh, you know totally torpedoed his offensive production when he came back in the second half of that season. And I just, you know, again, like I, I just want to make sure that he is is right. And, you know, it, it's been a, a pretty rapid, like I, I think I said this on the last episode, but it felt like a couple weeks ago, you know, we were talking about how he and Chris Bryant were, um, you know, putting up, uh, you know, 950 plus OPSs and they were kind of like really pacing the offense. So Wilson's allowed to have a, a bad couple weeks because he's been one, you know, was one of the, the better hitters through out of the gate. Um, but I'm just sort of like looking at these numbers and I just want to make sure that he's, taken care of because this has been a, a rough stretch for him and I'm I'm just sort of thinking out loud that I'm hoping it's not because of uh, you know kind of how much of this workload that he's taking on well it's concerning because he is taking on so much innings behind the dish and he, he's been taking so many innings not just this year but in years past you know he's among the top catchers within the last five years since he right. came up in the league to, to catch behind uh, you know the Cubs pitchers so that that is a concern for me. It's always been a concern for me, and it's a concern for me just his long term future. To 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 have a guy who's so talented like Wilson, you want to protect his offense as much as possible. And there are some outliers in history with catching and their offense. I mean, Yachty's had good offensive years later in his career uh, as an extreme example, and you want Wilson to have similar type productive offensive years in his 30s and the concern is can he get to that point if he continues to catch so many innings and listen I don't know how hamstring injuries happen for Wilson it's been on the base paths three times now in his career and as he pointed out in 2018 he made the all-star team in 2018 he was he was on pace for 30 plus homers he strains his hamstring comes back and his offense goes completely down the tank and just anecdotally I remember from that year Every single batted ball he had seemingly was right to the shortstop weekly hit. Like that that was so unfortunate and you felt for Wilson because you just know like the the hamstring probably had an effect uh, on his offense. And I don't I mean I, I hope that it's not a long lasting issue right now for him, but it just suggests that we we need a competent backup catcher and not to harp too much on this but it's one reason why you look back on that Darvish trade with Caratini it's like oh like if you're going to trade Caratini at least have a competent backup and yeah. Austin Romine's had injuries and Tony Walters is a complete disaster from the dish man it's like oh you know if there's one area to improve on this team right now it's getting that backup catcher so you can give Wilson days off more frequently if you want to keep him in a lineup you can put him in left field for example which they've done in years past with him it's at all costs you want to protect this guy's bat because he's so important for this middle of the order and we've seen what happens when it, when he's one out of the lineup and two back in the lineup and still trying to get back his bearings from that hamstring injury so I don't know if that can be accomplished like soon in terms of trying to get that competent backup but that was potentially a blind spot for this front office maybe not accurately valuing someone like a Victor Caratini not just from like his offensive point of view or whatever but just from the familiarity of the pitching staff familiarity with um, you know working with these Cubs coaches and getting consistent playing time and not having an injury history to have an Austin Romine or Tony Walters be your primary backup that may have been too much of a risk than initially thought when they were making those deals. 
Yeah, and I think too, you know, last year you also, especially with uh, Caratini being a more competent backup, you had the opportunity to play him at catcher and DH Wilson if you wanted to. Obviously, that rule is not in place. Uh, at the it moment. Could be, though. Could be in the future. Yeah, that that also helped to give the ability to keep Wilson's bat in there, but not necessarily keep racking up those innings for him behind the plate. And again, I, I don't know that this is the issue. It's, you know, likely just tied to this injury and, you know, just a, a not great stretch, but it just has not been a great stretch. So, uh, you know, just kind of want to keep well, it. It's so extreme, and, right? Like before he hurt himself, he, he looked the best I've ever seen him. I mean, he was just slapping right. balls all over the place and he yeah. comes back. And of course, now he looks like he's not the same guy. So there's only one reason in my mind that's happening is because of that injury. That's just uh, something to keep an eye on. Last thing on the offense, I think at least for me, um, I, I did just want to once again, and you mentioned this uh, earlier, we, we sort of briefly mentioned this, but the pinch it at bat from Javi in in that uh, ninth inning kind of rally on Sunday. I, the only reason I, I want to make sure we highlight that again, even though we, we've sort of both touched on it, was that was just such a good representation. I, I know, I think on the last episode, I mentioned that he looked a little more slowed down. You know, the offensive numbers were kind of getting back to overall not necessarily where he he wants them to be, but in that area where combined with everything else that his game brings, he's a, a, a productive, valuable player. And then if the offense continues to go up, then we get into, you know, more like, okay, you know, El Mago season, right, numbers. Um, but just such a good at-bat from him against a tough pitcher, laid off some pitches, some fastballs at the top of the zone. They tried to, you know, junk ball him with those uh, breaking balls in the other batter's box, uh, and he laid off them. And again, it, it didn't work out in the plate appearance, but he did try to go the other way and work the count and avoided, you know, getting too into that moment, right? It was an opportunity to hit a, another Mother's Day walk-off, and, you know, I think everybody in the ballpark figured he would be coming up there to swing and try to hit the ball to the moon, and he delivered a really composed, solid at-bat, and I am just bringing that up again because part of why his numbers, the the, the real reason why his numbers were so gaudy in in a bad way at the beginning portion of the season were those extreme, extreme strikeout numbers, chase numbers, whiff numbers, and he just looked violent and, and too aggressive and just kind of like all over the place at the plate. And I think obviously the numbers bear this out when you look at the, the kind of rolling numbers from the beginning of the season. But I, I think all of you would, would I hopefully agree, just watching him, he just looks calmer. It looks slowed down. It looks more patient. It looks more deliberate at the plate mm-hmm. as opposed to some of those at-bats early in the season where it felt like everything was sort of predetermined, right? Like I'm swinging at this yeah. pitch. I don't care where it is. And it's you know likely not that simple, but I, I think it's just very nice from a visual perspective to be able to see Javi and be like, I, f- I feel like he is in a comfortable place right now. As long as he yeah, gets why? his body healthy, of course, but he just looks more comfortable at the plate. He looks more intentional at the plate, and I think you can only figure that those offensive numbers are going to come along with it. And I know you and I were talking about this the other day, Brendan, but one of one of the things we've talked about in the past is that when he's able to slow everything down, he's able to make more contact, and sometimes it's not the best contact, but he's able to convert those 
some of them to base hits because he's able to beat them out. He's obviously so aggressive on the base paths, you know, and taking extra bases and things like that. And when those whiff numbers, those strikeout numbers, and the lack of contact numbers are so high, he's not able to do that. We know he's going to slug. We know he can hit the ball to Waveland, to wherever, right? But a, a big part of Javi's game when he's going at his best is, one, going the other way and, and getting those base hits, but also finding ways to convert that weird contact into bases. And if he's not touching the ball, he's not able to do that. So, Overall, again, you know, he exits Sunday's game with an 806 OPS. So that, that's that's not exactly where he wants it. You know, that's certainly not like 2018 peak Javi Baez. But from where he was at certain points of this season, he's obviously improved uh, numbers-wise and visually. It just looks so much better and, and more like the version of Javi that we all want to see. Yeah, I remember back in 2018, uh, I was looking at... The, the, the question I wanted to answer was, does Javi get more quote-unquote lucky base hits than the average player? And back in the 2017 season, the answer was an astounding yes. And in fact, not only was it uh, more than the average player, but on the Cubs, it was way more than the rest of the team. So he had this ability on weird, not high probable base hits from like a stack cast perspective to still get on base. And that wasn't like... You know, a lot of it is fluky to a degree, but Javi is just a weird outlier player to begin with. And there was one at bat on Saturday where he had just an infield hit on a weak rollover on a slider outside the dish, and he got on base because he's fast and because he forces some unorthodox positioning by the defense. And so if he can continue to do that and just make more contact, even contact outside the zone, that might extend his at-bats, but also just put in more weird batted balls to, to get on base. And so, yeah, it, it is noticeable. It's 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 another extreme. It was an extreme when he started the season, whiffing so much and looking just completely lost. And now it's another extreme where he's making noticeably more contact. And in the last, what is this now, 36 plate appearances, his overall contact rate is 76% now. So we updated his contact on the last podcast episode. Now it's a little bit higher with three more games in his pinch hit today. It's 76% overall contact. Again, the average is 75%. And these types of numbers stabilize around 50-ish plate appearances. So it's not necessarily a fluke. It's more so suggesting that in this time period, he's making changes. He's trying to adapt. And there was, a, there was some words he said, and just to paraphrase, that matched what we were seeing, Corey, and I think a lot of other people were seeing. Javi basically said he was up there anticipating a very specific sequence from pitchers, especially on those up and in fastballs. And he was just kind of lost. And that's exactly what we saw when he was not hitting any fastballs to start the year. And that's probably why Fangraphs wrote that article saying, hey, this is something to be concerned about because Javi's not hitting fastballs anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, now, now, now we know why. And so it's encouraging. I think this is another reminder for myself. Javi's going to be weird, man. It's, it's hard to predict this guy. He's going to go through weird stretches like this. He's going to get weird base hits. He's going to be off. He's going to be on for no particular reason. And this is just who he is. I don't think we'll ever see a player like Javi, and I'm just always reminded about this when he goes through these stretches. Yeah. And so weird 
place to be at, but like two weeks ago, I'm thinking like, what's like, can we expect Javi to, to turn it around soon? Like within the next two months? And my thinking was, I don't know if he can. And not only has it been two months, it's been two weeks and now I feel better about him. It's, he's a weird player. He's always going to be like this, but um, of course, I mean, surprised, but still relieved that he's doing this now in May rather than like June and July. Yeah. So last thing before I let you preview this series, I, I know I, I mentioned the numbers from this weekend from Keegan Thompson and Justin Steele, and they were the two guys we kind of focused on in our kind of ever continuing, uh, let's pay attention to some guys that should be around for the future. All I just want to add on that, um, you know, like I said, Keegan Thompson with three innings of no runs on Saturday and Justin Steele with two innings of no run baseball on Sunday. The only thing I just want to add on that is I want to see more of this from this team, right? They are giving these young guys a chance. They are succeeding. It's obviously not a lot of innings so far, but they're giving them a chance. They're continuing to put them back out there. They're giving them these opportunities, and I just want to see more of it. It's not something we've always seen from this team in the past. We've seen a lot of innings, a lot of opportunities on both sides of the ball go to you know, older veterans, uh, you know, older free agents, you know, guys kind of like trying to reestablish a a previous track record. And that's fine. Sometimes it certainly works out at times for sure. But it's been really nice and refreshing to see, uh, you know, again, it's only a couple opportunities, but to see these guys getting more opportunities, getting the ball, especially for, you know, multi-inning appearances, and just seeing what they have. And so far, it's paid off for for both of those guys and for the Cubs for giving them those opportunities. I just want to see more of it. it. It's nice to see some of these younger guys getting rewarded for the work that they've put in, in at the minor league level. You know, and a lot of them are, are really great stories, right? Guys that have, you know, kind of toiled around in the minors for a long time and, and getting their shot. But these are guys that you have under team control. They're young and they can be a, 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 a small part, a big part, a medium part of whatever your future plans are. And this is the time to figure it out. So I just am glad to see them continuing to give these eyes opportunities because I would rather they be going to them than uh, some of the guys we've seen get them in the past. Yeah, and I'm I'm having fun just watching Keegan Thompson and, and Justin Steele. And Steele and his two-inning outing on Sunday, I mean, he's getting whiffs, man, on that fastball. And he's got that uh, straight kind of over-the-top release point, which is interesting. But he got three whiffs on 15 fastballs on Sunday. He was getting uh, swings from his slider, swings from his sinker. And he just looks good. And we need some young guys to step up and get this experience now when at some point, whether it's this season or next season, the high leverage moments are more familiar to them. And I bring that up because I was, as you were saying that, like how the Cubs in the past used to give other veterans more opportunities than like the young guys. I'm I'm thinking like even in that 2015 year when we when we picked up like Fernando Rodney for example, and in 2016 what happened at the tail end of the year was you know we got Chapman but. Hector Rondon hurt his triceps and Pedro hurt his knee. And then during the playoffs, it was basically just like, hey, there you go, Chapman. Like, you know, kind of figure it out. And we got to a point when we got the extras in Game 7 of the World Series, in which we won, that Carl Edwards got the nod to try to close out the World Series in the 10th inning, right? And so, you know, he had hit or miss points in the season and his career with the Cubs. But 
it was basically a very narrow group of pitchers the Cubs went to. And I thought over the years we would see more opportunities from young guys, and we never saw that. And I bring that up now because like we this this is an optimal point to test this out to give these guys opportunities to expand your depth and I think they're doing that with not just steel but maples is getting more opportunities I don't know how you feel about that but just the, the principle of giving quote-unquote younger guys or unexperienced guys more opportunities to gain those types of high leverage roles I I, I like seeing that and I want to see more of it just separately from Justin Steele or Keegan Thompson I know we have Tyson Miller uh, waiting in the wings who I really like and they didn't do it unfortunately and it might just be kind of a mistake that they're still refining but for example like maybe it would have made more sense to keep Dwayne Underwood on this team because he's had some of the highest whiffs in the league so far with Pittsburgh it's just another example of like oh could we have given Dwayne Underwood more opportunities in years past um and so I, yeah, I mean, I want I want to see more of it. You're spot on. I think we are going to see more of it, kind of out of necessity, just given some of these injuries and some of the instability in the bullpen. But okay, so let's preview this upcoming series in Cleveland against the Indians. Two games set Tuesday, Wednesday. Sounds familiar. Uh, we have Adbert Alzali on the mound for the Cubs on the year. He's one and two with a 4.5 ERA. Will be a tough outing for the Cubs. They'll be facing a Cy Young Award winner, uh, Shane Bieber, who on the year is off to a nice start with a 3 and 2 record, a 2.98 ERA. And that start time is at 5 10 p.m. Central. And then on Wednesday, just to finish off this very brief two game set, we have Zach Davies back on the mound for the Cubs. Davies on the year after that decent start is 2-2 two and two with a 6.3 ERA. He'll be facing uh, Sam Hentges for the Cleveland Indians, who on the year is 1-0 with a 5.0 ERA. Indians off to a decent start. They have an 18-14 and 14 record. The Cubs right now stand at 500 at 17-17. and 17. And at the moment, they're three and a half games back of St. Louis, who has a 21-14 and 14 record. Milwaukee's kind of slid off a little bit here. They're 19 and 16, two games back of St. Louis, and only one and a half game up on the Cubs. The Reds are 15 and 16, uh, half a game back of the Cubs, and then the Pittsburgh Pirates in the cellar where they belong. Six games back of the St. Louis Cardinals atop the division. Okay, pre, a very brief two game set. Not many trends to focus on because it's only two games. But really, you want to see how David Ross manages that outfield, assuming Hayward's going to be out, assuming Marisic's going to be out. Uh, will we see Will we see Chris Bryant in center field? Will Nick Martini play center field? Will Chuck Peterson play center field? How will we work in the DH even with these outfield issues? And they may have no choice but to IL Jason Hayward just to bring someone else up with... Uh, with Marisnik's hamstring injury appearing more serious, at least for sure missing, um, and this is just speculation, uh, the next two games. So that's what to look for. And then we have uh, a nice turnaround here on Friday. It should be a, a good series for the Cubs in terms of potentially winning. They have the, uh, the Detroit Tigers for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So get through this two-game set, get healthy, get Nico and Ian back for the Friday set against Detroit, and then just make it through, man. Let's see if we can get through this outfield situation with all these injuries. Yeah, I think that uh, sounds like a plan. The Cubs will enter this week three and a half games out of first place. Again, they sit at 500. So 
enjoy the off day um, for the Cubs, use it to rest up, win a couple games in Cleveland, rest up again, and just keep things going. This was a very nice week for the Cubs, uh, you know, being able to put a, a, a win streak together like that of five games, have a really nice homestand on a series, uh, you know, in a homestand that included that series with the Dodgers and the tough pitching matchups, and just keep that going. And yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you just want to see this team get healthier. Some of these guys, uh, you know, hopefully whatever the situation is with them, it is as minimal as, you know, one can hope for and just keep things going. I mean, you know, again, like this is kind of what we expected. They're 500, they're three and a half games out. And as we've said since the beginning, like they're right in the thick of things. So you, you need to keep these winning ways going. You need to kind of continue uh, some of the improvements that we've seen and, and and things like that, but they're right there. So uh, for all intents and purposes, you know, this division is is very tight and uh, pretty much exactly like everybody predicted it would be. It's it's pretty clumped together and it's, it's there for the taking and the Cubs are right there in a position to take it. So uh, all of you enjoy the off day on Monday. As I always say, you know, when we have stuff uh, like the Hayward and Marisnik stuff, check in on Monday. Um, We're finishing this. It's about, you know, six-ish in Chicago. So that is the latest updates that we have. Check in on Monday morning or whenever the Cubs uh, get those tests done, evaluations, and and decide what they're going to do roster-wise. So you have the most current information there. But otherwise, uh, have a good off day. We will uh, certainly be ready to reminisce on other times that the Cubs have played in Cleveland, especially on a Tuesday and a Wednesday, and we'll look to keep these winning ways going. So thank you, as always, for joining us here on the Cubs-related podcast. We appreciate your support. We will talk to you after the Cubs finish up in Cleveland, and as always, go Cubs!